Yo. Yo. Welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order and doing a damn fine job of it, if I do say so myself. Currently, we are nearing the end of season one. And Jason, what do we have today? Today, we're talking about Revelation Records number 49, the Iceburn Collective Double LP, Metatevolutions. That rolled off the tongue nice. Thank you. Yeah. You know, we've had enough iceburn now where like we, I feel like we can like pronounce some of the names and of things that in the beginning we were like do you guys speak any that. other languages I I don't. Do you know any i don't embarrassing enough i, yeah. I took yeah. like eight years of spanish uh I, yeah i dabble here and there you speak you speak french okay right a little bit of french uh actually a little bit of japanese oh nice and this morning i th- started a course in Mandarin <laughs> um, just for fun, but I don't think that I'm going to stick with that. I think I'd rather go back to learning more conversational Japanese than trying to learn a new language. But Mandarin to me just sounds so cool. I just don't have any practical ac- application for it. I'm, I don't know anybody who speaks it. I can't practice at all, but I would be able to practice speaking Japanese, um, especially living here in Orange County. So I think I'm just going to stick with that. Nice. And a little bit of Spanish, surprisingly little for being named Javier. Um, also, do people just assume that you can speak fluent Spanish sometimes? Yo, like, there's a, into you and yeah, there's um, an indoor swap mall here. And I was just kind of looking around and I went into like a little shop to try and find like a Jesus candle or a prayer candle or something. And in Spanish, the woman working says, oh, are you looking for something? And in English, I answered like, oh, I'm just looking around. And in Spanish, she says, do you speak Spanish? And in English, I said, yeah, just a little, but, you know, not really enough. And in Spanish, she goes, then why the fuck are you in here? And I was like, I literally laughed, looked at her and laughed and walked out and was like, all right, I I guess I don't, uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, people, Man, people just, as, people just that assume that I do speak Spanish. I understand more than I speak, but, uh, it's not a, I'm, I'm not a native speaker at all. So whatever. Uh, but, be, but before we get into the bulk of this conversation and keep talking about also, <laughs> not, not to not to dwell on it, but I loved in the Discord someone was like brought up about how I said I didn't I didn't go to college, and then I quoted a French philosopher in French. Yes. That, that's just the kind of shit that goes through my mind. And anyway, you know what else goes through my mind when it's time to <laughs> Jason? You got anything today? Uh, no, I really don't. But thanks to all the patrons. Thanks to both you and Greg for always hanging, making these episodes fun. All the patrons that support us go shop at Vinyl Conflict. Check out Charm School when you're in Richmond. I feel like the the participation in the discussion about Into Another in the past week since the Seamless episode went up has been really awesome, um, especially in the Discord, which you can access if you are a patron. And also... 
People seem to have been talking about split lip quite a bit since we brought that up. Um, Tyler from, from Inclination actually texted me a picture of his split lip tattoo that he took with his fucking flip phone because he's a Luddite and, and doesn't have any sort of, you know, uh, real digital technology. Um, I didn't get the reference cause I'm not a huge split lip fan, but it's like, it looks like it's a, uh, a boat made out of folded paper on fire. Okay. Yeah. Do you know, do you know this reference? No, I haven't listened to split lip in a long time, but I did like them, but I love hardcore tattoos. Yeah, me too. I don't think I ever listened to them. Split lip. I feel like if the three of us listen to it, I feel like we would like it. So maybe we should do a split lip Chamberlain. Uh, what do you call it? Po- uh, playlist challenge. Yes. The discography okay. we also, challenge. Next in 2022, we have to get back to doing some discography challenges. For yeah. The Patreon. They were, they were fun. We, we, uh, we were going pretty full steam and then we had some, you know, we've had other cool bonus content, but um, I was thinking how we need to do some discography challenges. So I guess, you know, when you listen, comment, let us know what, what challenges would you like to see for patrons? Um, bring it up in the discord if you're in there or, Hey, become a patron and join the discord. Like Hav said, and, you know, maybe we can see what one gets the most votes and, uh, Try that one in the new year. Um, my bit of bow, just the usual. Uh, our dude, Oise, Oise. From end, end Hits Records. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the coolest dudes. And he sent, I finally got to see the um, War and Illusion book. Yeah. Which I put to in the in the post to you guys yesterday uh-huh. as we're recording this. Um, it looks super awesome. And... Um, if you haven't gotten it yet, hit up Death Wish Inc. in the U.S. and hitsrecords.com elsewhere. Dave Arishi, House, House of Dave Arishi, I saw yes. some as well. Yes, so Worldwide. definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, look, you know how these things go. There's a certain number printed. Yeah. And they're gone. They're probably gone. Yeah, look at that fucking... At um, schism. Look at the Schism, schism book. book. The Ray Capo yeah. book, In Defense of Reality. Um, even the, uh, the triple X fanzine book. I saw that at a used bookstore in the mall by my house for like 25 bucks. So that's not too bad. I think I paid, I got it when it was on sale. It was like 20 bucks. That book is definitely worth it. That Mm -hmm. triple X fanzine. I mean, it's like, I know we've talked about it before, but you know, books are an important part of what kind of helps us with the pod, you know, interviews and stuff. And cause there's so much crossover with yeah we had man. some man we had some good books this year right we had record aficionado that's what i was gonna say we had, um, yeah. the straight edge book from tony retman um we had the hardcore fanzine book from draw down uh i read the stuff from shining life press right the the bold oh, yeah the in effect one in or, effect. the in effect the that thing's uh, a monster alex russin book that i wouldn't shut up about for like three episodes ned russin Ned Russell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Bo Alex Russell. Yeah, some good, really good stuff came out this year, man. Oh, and uh, our man Tony Pops. Uh, what is it? Heaven, yeah, or, Heaven or Heaven Las or Vegas? Las Vegas. Yeah. yeah. And then also, uh, I mean, I referenced the Antimatter zine anthology book. And then oh, All Ages, old. too. I know, that's but I'm just saying. Old, but we use it, yeah. 
And that's another one that's very hard to find, the antimatter. Yeah, I was uh-huh. gonna say. Yeah. You're 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 lucky to find a copy of that at a at a decent price. And and oh. same with like Hobb said, that Ray Capo book. Yeah. Um I ended up being, you know, always speaking of Oise, he sent me a copy. So I was able to send my extra copy out to someone that I know had been looking for one and was probably willing to pay money for it. And I just paid it forward. And uh, I won't name names, but that person, maybe they listen to the pod, maybe not, probably not listen to this episode. Maybe they are. And, uh, but they'll be happy nonetheless. At least I'd like to think. Um, but yeah, it's weird. Some of those books are hard to find the schism one. We took, you know, yeah, that you know, one is one that I've had now three times. I'm not getting rid of it again. I think before I was like, I think I can make, I read this cover to cover. Like I could probably get a couple bucks on eBay and I got way less than I thought I should get. Okay. I and think I this, paid $50 for mine. You know, uh, uh, same. So three, I think okay. that's why I was like, I'm holding on to this one. Yeah. Three books also that I, I think that I got in 2020, but I used a lot this year and I feel like are going to be on this list of rare books in the future. Um, and Attitude Exhumed, which is Busky, uh, Jonathan Busky, he made this Earth Crisis book called Smash yes. or Be Smashed. It's fucking awesome. And I feel like that's going to be sought after. Um, the History of Nemesis Records from Reaper and Big Frank. This thing is fucking sick. It, I mean, it's kind of like... Um, what was the radio silence book where it's got the pictures of all the, of all the records inside yeah. and stuff. This is a great book. And then bit it bow to Dave Brown for the adult crash books and records, because this shit is awesome. Also, it's yeah. like, this There's is like so a really many good ones. Many. Like, I have, you know, a shelf of just like books that we use and, and, you know, punk hardcore related, um, not really going to help us with the pod, but the, and now a super sought after book, I believe that misfits book, the Jeremy Dean was involved oh, with. So bummed. I didn't get the first one. Um, is, is there a with, second one scream with, Oh no. Okay. So there's the scream with me book that you're talking about, right? That's what I yes. have. Yeah. yeah. So then there's also another collector's book called like on earth as it is in hell. That's, I did not see that one. That's all about the different um, vinyl Okay. So it's like for vinyl nerds and they're on um, issue two of that, which is like, that's for, you know, it's got all documenting all of the singles and all the colored vinyl and all that shit. Do you have scream with me? I don't. And I wish I did. I somehow got it. Somebody said basically that like, yo, this is about to get pulled. Yeah. Order it. And it was like 20 bucks or something. I was like, I was like, I really like the misfits. I love Jeremy Dean's art. I was like, I'll get this. And then, of course, now it's like you can't super get hard it. to find. Hold on. Let me Google it real quick while you talk. Scream with me book. If I wanted to buy one right now. Oh, you can get it for $40 on Amazon. That's not bad. That's Honestly, not bad. that's not bad. It's yeah. a hardcover book, color. Um, yeah, it, I'm, I'm actually surprised it's that cheap. It's cool, though. But, yeah, there's so many books and just... Uh, but definitely check out this war and illusion. The moral of the story is, as Javier says, the time to buy it is when you see it because stuff sometimes will surprise you with how quickly it will sell out. Yeah. Or it um, doesn't sell out. Yeah. And then like, so, but I think this is something that I don't see being around a long time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, the only bit of boat I have is uh, my friend Nolan opened a new coffee shop in Long Beach, all plant-based, queer-owned in a good neighborhood. And um, I've, I've been hitting it like every day this week. And um, it's just awesome when you see people like work really hard at their dreams. I watched every aspect of opening. Like sometimes you see your friends and they're like, oh, I have a restaurant now or I have a shop now or I have something and you don't see all the like little stuff that it takes to go into that. All of the inspections and all of the um, everything. So I watched it all happen from behind behind the scenes and it kind of gave me a new appreciation for something like that. So if you're in Long Beach, California, hit up Wood Coffee Company. And um, it's funny, I was in there this morning. Uh, I got a cookie butter latte. That's I'm now warming up in my ember mug here on the desk. And this dude comes in, starts talking, and he used to work at Timeless Coffee, which is in Oakland. And that's owned by a dude named RJ, who was a hardcore kid. And like, anyway, it's just like a small world. You know what I mean? There's there's people everywhere who you're you're gonna know and you're gonna meet who are involved in hardcore business and all kinds of stuff like that. So anyway, anything else we gotta we gotta shout before we start to kick it? No, just thanks to everybody, like Jason said, patrons, listeners, people who've even checked out just one episode, mm-hmm. sent it to a friend, whatever. Thank you. Yeah, and- the, on the wall at my dentist. There's a sign that says the greatest compliment that someone can give us is a recommendation to their friends and family. That's it right I there. I think that's a good place to kick it. Can I kick it? Kick it, kick it, kick it. I wanted to start with before we dive into uh, you know Meta which is the last Rev proper release, but there are other Iceburn records. Yeah, you know one of the things is like I feel like we we talked about it for the first you know we've talked to you a couple times, and I never really got like how did we get from like how did you get from you know you were playing in better way. Youth, of t- you know, big yeah. fan of Youth of Today. You know, you, I'm sure you still are. But like, how did you get from Youth of Today to Mahavishnu Orchestra? Like, was it an overnight thing, or was it just like slowly you were just kind of adding more, you know, spices and ingredients to the pot, and the next thing you knew, you had the jambalaya that is iceburn. Like, because yeah. it seems like it's a big leap. Um, mm. But I'm sure it was probably a little bit longer of a gestation period than maybe it seems. Yeah. I mean, it is only a few years, but I think it's, so I was born, you know, 70. So I can easily kind of track how old I was going. So that would be my, you know, late teens to early twenties and just pretty voracious about listening to everything um and i started reading music as well uh 
just kind of took some classes at the U and realized, oh, it's not that bad, I guess. I can started applying it to guitar and stuff and learning. Um, yeah, I think we're just trying to expand and we we're also analyzing ourselves and then building on that. Like I would take things that we just kind of wrote out of the blue or, you know, through intuition, like poetry of fire, poem of fire, and then analyze like, well, what were we really doing there and how do we kind of take those sounds to the next level or, or whatever. But it was always um, just reaching and trying. I think, I think I, so by the time Metatavolutions, I started kind of having to play jazz in school. Um, I was taking, I was doing a music major and then, so they have these classes where I have to play jazz tunes with other dudes and stuff. And so I was always looking for a way to make it my own. Um, even with that, uh, I think they gave me a lot of leeway, but I was always looking for how can I mess with these rules to, to make the sounds I want to make. And so, I mean, I was doing it in school, doing it at band practice. It was just like nonstop. Didn't really do anything else kind of stopped. Um, didn't, I used to snowboard and skateboard a lot. And then that all kind of was, um, going away as it became like snowboarding became way more expensive and skateboarding became more of a means of transportation <laughs> than anything. And so, yeah, I just kind of, ate, sleep, slept and drank music. And, and I think Brad Collins, like we mentioned, definitely turned me on to things like the Melvins, Mahavishnu. I, he get, I remember before Nirvana was even a thing, he's like, check out, I got this bleach tape, you know, it's like a advanced copy. You might like these guys. And I love that stuff. So all that stuff was going in. Um, then coming back out <laughs> in my own way, I guess. And you were young. Like I'm looking at the, the insert in the Metatevolutions. Sure. And it was recorded December, 1994. So you're 24 years old. Yeah. And this is like an expansive <laughs> yeah. record, you know, like, so when you were in school, did you, did like people you went to school with know about Iceburn? Like, did you, how about like, I, I know we talked before, uh, you know, we talked yeah. about professors and stuff, but like, did they, like, what did they think of, of Iceburn? Yeah. I, I mean, I think everybody thought I was kind of weird and um, that it was interesting and um, maybe I think people see their, are looking at their their own selves and kind of how you relate to them and, and what uh, or how can I develop this guy? You know, maybe some of the teachers were like that, but um, the record was dedicated to that Paul Bannum, who was a huge influence. And I think all of the the words in there came from things that he turned us on to um 
but yeah, he was, he definitely found out about us and, and knew about it, but there was, there were some other people that went. I think it was very, you know, Utah's conservative. The music was kind of a lot of conservative teachers following rules uh, and the students too. They wanted to do their things sound like Alan Holdsworth or something, you know, or, or Joe pass and, and do more of the jazz guitar thing. Um, and then of course the classical people are even more strict about what they're into, but this guy, Paul just was turning us on to things. And I worked in the score, like where we had all the scores for pieces and, um, and all the music catalogs, uh, it was called like the listening library. So I was doing that library stuff way back then, but, um, we had these cool scores by George Crumb, which they were in shapes of like circles. He would just write, write the music to be like, a, and there's one that's a cross, you know, um, and I don't know, I was just getting my mind expanded by all this cool stuff um, and trying to say, you know, how can I bring this into this other world? I guess I felt free to do whatever I want, maybe just because Jordan was down on Revelation and yeah, and didn't have to. So I, I feel like there was a lot of support that way. Um, and, and among our community and stuff, um, you know, everybody bringing ideas and, and giving their opinions. Um, so I think that's how we ended up here. And, um, <laughs> I, th I think people know who I am a little more now than, than back then though. I mean, to me, you guys were super mysterious. Like as we, you know, the, the release after this is Rev 50, the in-flight program. So yeah. it's like a CD sampler of the labels, you know, first 50 releases. And I remember to hear an ice burn, the song on there is Sphinx. It's an edited down version. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just being like, what the hell is this? I was like 15, you know? And then this was also the first record where you were the Iceburn Collective because there's, I'm looking here, there's a, there's a big member shift. Like Cash isn't on this record anymore. Um, and Chubba also is not on it, correct? Yeah. Um, who carried over from Poetry of Fire? Uh, um, Jamie and me. And... So Doug was, of course, he played on Fire um, and the 7-inch stuff. He was from Insight. Um, yeah, the, the beginnings of the band were, um, it was going to be Chubba, Jamie, and me on guitar. And then um, uh, Jeremy was going to play bass and sing. And then Doug ended up stepping in. Um, and Jeremy just did vocals and, and Doug's a phenomenal bass player. And, um, and we kind of in that era, were playing all together as well. Um, Dan who, day came in for Chubba 
he was more of a jazz guy. And so Dan and Doug and I would play with the sax player, just like more jazz oriented stuff. That's how we kind of, we were all kind of learning together, but playing together and people were letting us play, you know, at coffee shops and um, different places around town. So we're playing Coltrane and we're all these weird tunes that <laughs> we were kind of learning as we go. Um, but, and we, but we were kind of doing this quieter thing that I guess was more palatable um, to everybody. I had this little acoustic amp and it's, it was a Brown one, like the company acoustic. And I loved the, it was really dark. Just loved the sound of that. So I had that and I would play all these jazz gigs with it. When we ended up doing like this iceburn version, Metatabolutions, basically I took that amp and ran it into this Marshall Major, which is like the 200 watt Marshall, you know, just like these super loud amp. But um, I, I kind of loved my guitar tone on that record because of that. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, what was your question? I I, I went on <laughs> no about the members, and I do see oh Greg, the members, not, not my amps. Yeah, um, Greg did the uh, sax on the previous. Uh, the yeah, the yeah, for sure. And, Greg uh, was around. Yeah, and um, we had been on tour. I think the last tour or so before Dan came on, it was the lineup as it is now. Um. Jamie and me on guitars, Cash and Treble on bass. And I I don't know, we kind of, Treble was getting busy with kids and life and, and school. And uh, Cash loved Treble <laughs> and still does. So they, they kind of were a little team together. But Cash hang, Treble was like, I need to step out and, and we ended up uh, working with Dan and Dan Day. He was in some other bands, um, the Gladbirds and Ampersand, um, and kind of just crazy, phenomenal drummer in so many ways. Um, and then we had this other guy, Randy Herbert, who was kind of his buddy and protege. Um, and he... I was playing with him and some other things as well. And he ended up just kind of jamming with us, doing percussion, breaking out the congas. Yeah, I see um, on, on Discogs, uh, Randy Herbert played some stuff with Cascade, the the like DJ, the, the oh, really yeah. <laughs> world famous uh, club DJ, which is, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, me. I think he moved to, to <laughs> Portland. Uh-huh. So kind of lost touch with him, but yeah, both everybody was so talented. It was just kind of crazy. Um, was the name change to the Iceburn Collective due to the members or was it something that you wanted to approach Iceburn from a different perspective for the songs? Um, maybe a little of both. I felt kind of like with the return of Doug and who was there at the beginning and we seem to have, um, it's like other people we were playing with and 
Um, I think by the time we recorded that, we had also added some other horns, but they did, we didn't do it on the on the record. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of more. It was turning more into, um, yeah, this is all part of the same thread, but but now we got a lot more people in there. <laughs> I thought it was an interesting way to like kind of do that and have it so that it does open up that, Hey, this can be anybody can come and go in this. And it's still part of the the ice burn, you know, tree. Great. I always thought it was that the ice burn collective was all improvisational and that ice burn was all written. Is Is that incorrect? Yeah. <laughs> but, so, and the, so the interesting thing about uh, metatabolutions, maybe for some, um, but one thing I like to point out is uh, it, w- it was kind of a mark right down the middle. Um, the last half, there's no vocals, you know, uh, the first half was kind of, so once we hit that center point, there's no more vocals. And then uh, the rest of Iceburn, there's no more vocals. So it became an instrumental entity, basically. Through Until that the newest decade, record, anyway. right? Yeah. The what? Until the newest record. Yes. Um, so that, that kind of was the loop back. Um, but yeah, to the, to the end of the decade, pretty much no more um, vocals. And that was, we we're moving away from that. Um, and a lot of the words on there weren't sung or anything. They're kind of laid out to to tell a story on the Metatabolutions lyric sheet. Yeah. Um, but also, yeah, the sax comes in kind of halfway through or earlier a little bit. Um, so it was kind of, this album kind of was bridging the two worlds i feel from iceburn to um the collective and uh but we were still writing there was there's always you know these written parts uh almost like heads and jazz or whatever and and points of reference a key and uh um a time signature all that stuff that we're you know, focus on or come back to. Um, so, and we were definitely writing out a lot of the more parts that are played together. You know, it's not completely improvised, mm-hmm. but it always, yeah, it may come together differently each time. We were exploring different improvisational strategies kind of too. Um, on that record, there's multiple um kind of approaches i would say uh sphinx was kind of the way we did it on uh hephaestus where we have kind of a riff and and this melody that can go over it and then we take it all sorts of different places and groove with it and solo over it just kind of a a group improvisation but in the in time you know um after that, on the other end was uh, objects that's on there. Yeah, side three. Yeah, and so those are like things that I had each member kind of pick a 
a little theme and and how they could cue it and come into it. And initially we wrote them down so that we could play them, but um, some of them are just these little accent things or, or melodies. And then like one of them is the DSE Ray, which is the Days of Wrath. It's like based on a Gregorian chant, and you hear you hear that melody everywhere. The dun 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 dun, dun. Um, and so we do that in kind of a round for one of them. There's some messian stuff in there. So, but it, it was meant to be like this silence, and then we kind of somebody cues something, and and we were we were working on more space with that, and then there's these objects in the space so and then the next piece history is laid out more like um a jazz standard in a way uh it has a constant set of changes um and uh it was based on like footprints which maybe there's i think we linked something in the lyric sheet about footprints too uh, but Footprints was a Miles Davis with Wayne Shorter, that um, classic quintet kind of thing. Yeah, it's, I see it. The footprints yeah. perpetually obliterating one another, toe to heel, heel to toe. So, <laughs> and that, that goes with the palindromic kind of back and forth and the nature of revolutions and everything. So, but um I don't know. There's cool stuff in that one because we were we set it up where we're trading maybe eights on a 12 bar form and then it gets tighter. And then I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I listened back to it the other day and I was like, wow. And then and then it goes into these crazy drum solos, which I didn't even realize were so freaking long. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nuts like you're 24 years old. Like to me, yeah. that's like kind of wild like to be that young and just have that you know come from punk and hardcore and still be part of it you guys were still playing shows with a lot of the bands that we've talked to you know in the prior 48 episodes um but like having this knowledge where like i'm sure myself included a lot of people that are in these bands like they don't even know how to read mute they just go oh i just kind of put my hand on the guitar and strum around and that's how I you know approach writing a song do you ever because of how much thought goes in is there ever a party that's just like man I just want to write like a fucking Ramon song or something like I just want to play something super simple and you know like a one four five chord progression see I knew oh, that man. um like I tried <laughs> it always gets complicated Halfway through, you just start busting out some kind of like, you know, solo or whatever. When you went to Jordan, too, like, did you know, like, hey, we're going to do another double album? Because when I look at the Rev releases, we had Hephaestus was a double LP. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, we had the split with Engine Kid, Poetry of Fire. And then this is another double album. And it just seems kind of like Jordan really did just have enough faith in you guys. You know, we had him on the Hephaestus episode and 
he seemed, you know, he was super supportive of your vision, like getting your vision out there. I mean, that had to be pretty nice, like to just have a label that backed you like that. Yeah. And I don't know if he was. <laughs> yeah, I always um, credit him for that, for sure. And I don't know, maybe we would have tried it ourselves, but it, it you know, we wouldn't be talking about it today. Definitely. Um, I think it's cool that he brought it into this um, kind of other world, you know, or what we were trying to do anyway is just um, open people's minds, like was kind of the, but we weren't going to do it, you know, playing three chord songs and telling people to open their minds. It, it was like, how, how do we really like expose people to this? Exactly. So that was kind of our approach. We were, just going to do our weird stuff and I hope people got it somewhere down the line. Did Jordan you guys... question the name change at all or was he just down for? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Okay. He mentioned that he loves the layout of this. Oh yeah. Um, because yeah. he said he had nothing to do with it. I thought that was funny. He's like, I love it. I had not, I, uh, he's like, I think it was a, uh, I'll have to pull up exactly what he said, but basically something to the effect of um, he said uh, that this was the most well put together on well put together album on Rev graphically, because I don't think I had anything to do with the layout. And he gave a little smile. And then um, he did say, you know, he mentioned this was the first use of collective. And I did ask him about there's a I looked on discogs there's a metatavolutions edit a cd of edited tracks and um he said he assumed it was probably just to give to radio stations like you know college radio not you know k-rock or whatever yeah um, to give to college radio so that they could play it without having to do their own edits i guess that's where the sphinx um the version on um yeah the in-flight program uh, came from. Yeah, I uh, think that's a cool CD, really. Um, and I think Pro Tools was just coming along <laughs> at that time. So we were able to chop some stuff up and kind of usually put some just like separate parts that wouldn't be together on the album together um, and make some cool pieces i i really liked the way that turned out but yeah it, the idea was you're giving it to um radio or you know giving it out free for promotion instead of giving this whole thing this double album craziness right because i went out I, I need to get it i looked i was like i gotta get a copy of that and throw it in the car and uh here here that you know here that I would kind of look at it as like you said, like almost like an alternate version of the record, like a, like a sort of remix in a way, because it's yeah. just these different, um, you know, edits and all, but yeah. I thought that was cool. Like I saw that, I was like, Oh man. Um, so one of the things that I noticed too, is this record recorded in December, 94 
Then it says here, all music, copyright 95. And then it says Revelation 96. So this, do you happen to remember when this came out? It was in flight is from 97, but like, like I mentioned on when we, well, that episode hasn't aired yet, but when it does, I remember getting it around December of 96. Cause I got it. Uh, I did a Christmas order from Rev. Oh. Um, so they must've had them, you know, ready for the new year. Um, do you know when this record came out? Even just like, seasonally like it came out in the summer or no i don't i don't think i paid any attention to that um and that's way before emails so i can't even go look <laughs> track it down did you guys um, tour when this came out then yeah i mean so we were touring every year uh, um maybe even multiple little runs um and because we had Stormy and she would always basically I would be in school all through the school year and then summer hits and we're out on the road for a bit. Um, and yeah, we didn't miss a year of touring going around. Um, and like I said, initially Cash went with us. Um, maybe that would be a way to track it down um yeah but that was probably 94 early 94 and then doug said so cash kind of cool he did another tour after chubba left and then um i don't know wasn't digging where we were going with it <laughs> and uh the new drummer and wasn't like chubba and um so he ended up splitting after that and that's when doug came in um so it was kind of a gradual process there over maybe a, a year or two so we had all this we were constantly working on that record though so um by the time we got to it um we were able to nail it pretty well i thought or it's always crazy doing those giant long takes in the studio back in yeah, the like a 20 minute song you know like i yeah uh, it's rolling hit it yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well and i was surprised we left a lot of stuff in there that maybe i would edit out later if i but it's not even an option you know I, I hear myself uh, in the Sphinx, like I stop playing and you can, it, I'm out of the picture for a bit. And then I guess I picked up my electric sitar and you can hear me start strumming on that. So, and that was all left. I just had it set up in the room so I could switch, you know. Um, and then I kind of finished the rest of that take on that. Um, but I love that feel to this out. Like this one is definitely more for for a layman like me, I'd say more jazz, more jazz influence than any of the previous stuff, even though that also had the jazz yeah. element to it. But this one, especially like I noticed was very like like I see where Jason was like, oh, I thought this was improvisational because it really has a, a loose feel to it like you said where you can hear like stuff like that and things like 
instrument switching and I think part of that jazz feel that I got out of it too is because of the really really minimal vocals on there it's like very sparse and there's sections where you're going for like 10 20 minutes and you don't hear any words at all and that's something that people generally associate with jazz it's just instrumental music um Mm -hmm. gentry you just mentioned your sitar yeah that uh can you tell us a little bit about how you picked that up like i'm I'm just gonna buy an electric sitar and start figuring out how to play it well yeah and this one wasn't really it was kind of one of these that if you know guitar you can play but um i there's a crazy dude um (laughs) this totally like 80s butt rock dude had his own shop called vintage rockers and he would just get instruments traded to him and and i ended up seeing it in there one day and um kind of falling in love with it so um i ended up picking up that thing and but i was trying things that not a lot of people did i I don't think i've never really heard um it has sympathetic strings um and so you tune those to the scale that you're like playing in or you know improvising in um the raga or whatever you would be doing in indian music so uh i would i had this ebo that i could actually hold over the sympathetic strings and then play melodies with the ebo and it almost sounds like an organ or something you'll probably hear that part in there but that's me like um rubbing that over the (laughs) sympathetic strings i've tried to recreate it on some other instruments because i ended up selling that um electric sitar and uh i always regret it i think (laughs) actually was gonna ask if you used an ebo on this recording or any of the previous recordings as well. Yeah. Um, There's like towards the beginning, there's a little solo. Now that's Ebo too. Um, Right before the, um, what is it? The vision part, I guess, the, the kind of song form where it's actually like a verse chorus. Um, I take a solo and then Jamie takes a solo, but, but mine was, uh, using the Evo there on the, on my electric. And then in the Sphinx where I'm using it on the, um, sitar, which was sometimes trickier, but it was cool. Cause it responded a little differently and you get that kind of sitar buzz. And I, I still have an Evo. I don't break it out enough. Um, but I've always, I, I used one on uh what is that? Uh the the Rite of Spring, the uh, the, uh-huh. the split as well, doing that melody. It's interesting, <laughs> you know, bringing up Rite of Spring, which is based off of a classical piece. I text the group chat earlier this week and or maybe it was just Jason directly, I don't remember, but no, it was on both of us. Okay. Yeah. So the first song really reminded me of Peter and the Wolf. Um, when I was growing up, I, I heard that there's like a Disney 
cartoon of it. And, you know, you play the same things over and over again when you're a kid because you don't have access necessarily to fucking Netflix like they do now and shit. But uh, I was always really like enthralled by Disney's exploration of music, especially classical music with Fantasia and jazz yeah. music, Donald Duck uh, exploring the fucking Pythagorean theorem and how it relates to jazz and stuff like that. But that Peter and the Wolf uh, cartoon, that melody is kind of always in mm-hmm. my head, like burned into my head. And the first part of Trills and Cones there's that that melody from Peter and the Wolf that's like da 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 da, da. and I, and I just caught like hints of that and so I know that generally Iceburn has bits of jazz but I appreciate the kind of spattering of of classicals that might get thrown in there as well. True, yeah, and like I was saying, there's a bit of Messiaen. He was a French composer. Um, I think we took it from the quartet for the end of time that he does. Uh, but it's in that objects part, kind of a tritony, big sounding thing. Um, and then we, we've always like Mazorsky that was in, um, Fantasia and everything. Yeah. Uh, we turned some of that into some, like we would play that and then improvise on it later, later down the line. So I think the classical stuff was always working its way in there. And you hear about Charlie Parker, you know, playing Stravinsky licks on his horn backstage. And um, so we, we all heard those stories. And of course we're stuck with the classical thing. I think one, um, the more modern composer, there's this guy, John Carigliano. Um, and his first symphony, um, I think he called it the AIDS symphony, and it was about friends he had that had died. And it was, you know, kind of from that era, late 80s, early 90s. Um, but he he came and taught at my school, and I picked up this thing. Um, I don't know what you call it, crypt or maybe some kind of way where you put the alphabet into uh, musical notes. And composers would do it like Bach put his name, B-A-C, B-flat or something, you know. Um, Or I think I got those mixed, but yeah, a lot of people that had names that fit (laughs) would would write themselves into their music. Um, But we use the word revolution uh, and so that word like repeats in there. That's uh, where you have revolution two and revolution three on the, on the liner notes or on the, on the record there. Um, we called them those partially because we played it on the um, right of spring record we threw that in there because of course Stravinsky was revolutionary and so this was like the second and third time it was on record um but also the two of us me and Jamie were playing the melody on the first one and then the second one had you know me and Jamie and the sax was added so there was three melody instruments playing that um 
and we used other techniques on that, like the middle part of it. Um, I go through all um, 12 possible intervals by it from the most consonant to the most dissonant as, as we repeat that instead of harmonizing it, harmonizing it like normal. So stuff like that was written and planned. Um, but then of course it's on a sea of chaos. That's <laughs> drums just going nuts and, and us going crazy in between. So by the way, I was able to find a release date for the album. Okay. Uh, according to Discogs, April 9th, 1996. So like it's, okay. yeah, so it's, it's wild to kind of think about what was going on in 1996 musically. You know, at that point, that was when, you know, at least out here in the East Coast, and maybe out west was when that that new wave of the emo type stuff was really starting to gain traction with Texas is the reason and Promise Ring and all that stuff. Mm. Um, but also the, for lack of a better term, the like youth crew revival stuff was starting to become popping at that point. Like Floor Punch had their demo and Seven Inch, but maybe by that point Seven Inch might have been in the summer, but '96 nonetheless. So it's just wild to think this record comes out during this time where there's so there's like all this different stuff going on. Who did you guys tour with when you went out on this one? Um, we were mostly headlining at that point, I believe, or with Engine Kid. I remember, yeah, a lot of it was with Engine Kid because um, I remember Dan and he was... <laughs> such an interesting dude came from a different world um into this hardcore world so um he got ribbed a lot and stuff i think uh uh pete hines from chromax called him beret boy because he would wear a beret a lot and then he got the name nickname latte because he loved his lattes like every <laughs> we'd have always have to stop at the coffee shop I guess there's one place he, he got a quadruple latte and we, we didn't hear the end of it. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, Cause he came not from like, that's the thing you guys all came, you know, the insight yeah. guys, you Greg, sure. the rest of the engine kid came from hardcore. So like you could kind of reference, you know, one minute talk about blast yeah. or, you know, <laughs> whatever but then talk about the melvins and talk you know go into jazz yeah. and and stuff um so he, was he your age the the uh yeah the drummer yeah or maybe like a year or two younger probably pretty close though and his parents were um i think both professors down at BYU and he came from Provo which is kind of a Mormon Mecca and really they call it happy Valley, you know, really kind of, um, maybe sheltered existence there, but, um, he went out to Berkeley and was, um, studying music there, studying percussion and drums. And we kind of, I, like Chuba and, uh, 
um, Jamie and I, Cash, on that tour, we uh, stayed at his place. I think Patterson actually was roading, Andy Patterson. Um, and we stayed at his place in uh, in Boston. And we actually got robbed. Our van <laughs> got broken into. Um, and, oh, man, that was a scene. And I remember Patterson had all of his CDs in these like big black CD cases and they were all just the discs and he maybe had a couple couple of those worth maybe his whole collection and like that was the main thing that got stolen like they took a bass and a guitar like some weird guitar that I made basically out of some old Ibanez crap and they left in the we had in the dashboard like all the show money but it was in the glove box. They didn't even find that. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's good. It's, not, it's funny. Nope. I was actually thinking about CDs and how, you know, I made a comment. I have a little CD wallet in the car. And I was like, you know, back in the 90s, you couldn't have that visible. Someone would yeah, somebody's- steal it because they could probably get a couple bucks for them. Now it's like if they took it, it'd just be, you know, drink coasters or something. Yeah. Um, but I remember, Andy was, uh, sitting there all despondent and he put his hand we had the side door open and he was hand was there and chubba was just pissed and he just slammed the side door and and he's like ah dude uh oh <laughs> we had to open it off of his hand <laughs> he was okay but i think he got a little munched up oh man. man it was a rough day i think that one we kind of ended up ending our tour early just because shit was going sideways. <laughs> Cause then after this record was when you did the, um, the polar polar bear, polar bear. Suite, um, which I would, I, I need to, like, I would love to do a separate thing on that sometime, a bonus. Yeah. Uh, Cause you guys have some stuff through, through rev, but um, was, I guess to just touch on that, was there talk of that? Like, was that originally going to be a release on revelation or was it more like, Hey, we're, you know, why don't you just kind of do your own imprint? Cause it was like ice burn records, but still distributed through yeah, revelation. It was all kind of basically paid for and distributed by revelation. And he, I think he thought we'd be more prolific maybe. Um, and it would be like a subscription kind of thing, get stuff cranked out. But, um, I think we we kind of slowed down a little bit at that point. Um, we're still getting about one a year or one every other year, maybe. Yeah, because there's there's the polar polar bear suite is CD only mm-hmm. comes out ninety seven. Uh, then there is uh, Leo's. Oh, and that was recorded at the same time of the Power of the Lion. Okay. That one is hard to find. Looks like hard to find on vinyl. Um, and I then, uh, oh, <laughs> I would be happy. Uh, then there's the there's also the Speed of Light, uh, oh. Voice of Thunder CD. So at that point, we did that one all by ourselves. But Power of the Lion was with Rev. Um, and I don't know. We were just more exploring 
what we could, you know, get away with probably. <laughs> Southern Lord did a um, Power of the Line vinyl. I, I do have that. Yeah. Um, they reissued that. It looks really nice, actually. Um, and then it looks like 2001, there was Land of Wind, uh, Land of Wind and Ghosts. Yes. Was that also just you guys? Um, that was with this place, Mountain CIA or MTN. It was like a collective out of New York, I think. Countdown to Push. Does that ring a bell of anybody? No. Uh, no, but it does say uh, the Mountain Collective for Independent Artists is yeah. who the label is uh, credited to. Um, it looks like they were recorded in December of 2001 live to mini disc. Um, <laughs> and that was released as limited. And then you guys basically go 20 years <laughs> and then we get the. Um, yeah, uh, the newest well, there <laughs> there was a split that came out kind of post. I see it. Uh, with Zoo, Zoo with Xavier uh, Iriando. Yeah. on uh, That was an Italian label. And we had, so at the end there, 2001, we toured Europe and ended up making some connections there. And um, basically the band with some guys from... Uh, the Power of the Lion record. And so Ed Rodriguez, who I always talk about, he's 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 in Deerhoof now doing his thing. Um, and the drummer was Chad Popple, amazing player who like moved to Hamburg and then studied tabla. And I think he got a master's or or something in like Indian music and tabla. Um, so just, I don't know. I've been blessed to play with some really like cool people who love music and just, you know, I think we kind of cross influence each other or, or I definitely pick up a lot from them. So I see, um, I'm looking through, it's like, but it's just what a, what a neat journey that you've had, you know, through yeah, starting with, you know, better way. Like we talked about at the beginning, <laughs> being connected with and filling in with insight. And then, you know, it's kind of wild to me how a band like insight, who I'm a huge fan of, um, kind of spawned off this whole, I mean, if you look at what the people from insight did from Iceburn to jets to Brazil, to rival schools to like so many different, like from that whole, uh, you know, again, to use the tree analogy, but from that whole like I, I, uh, insight, Salt Lake City hardcore family tree, yeah, um, was kind of all over the place. I know it's. I I've often wanted to see it all laid out with all the cross connections and everything, but um, I know I I'm glad to still be in touch with a lot of those guys. And um, I think for me, I, after all this, after Iceburn was when I finally said, yeah, let's call it an end. It seemed like it had a, a kind of perfect arc to the fully improv improvised kind of world. And I started turning back into um, 
wanting to play riffs and wanting to, you know, in, in jazz, you're taught to kind of never play the root and you, you're, you're trying to, you let the bass play the root and then you play the extensions on the chord or you play above it. And, um, but we always knew that having everybody together on those, you know, roots, that's what, that's where the power lies for, for hardcore and heavy music. So, um, it was kind of a realization of, you know, you're taught these things and then, but what do those rules get you? And, and, you know, what do you really want to do? So, um, definitely my ear and taste turned back to playing loud and, and feeling the rumble. Um, and I just kind of, uh, <laughs> It's a journey where you kind of lose yourself and then find yourself again, maybe. I find, too, like even just myself, like I'm most in touch with the music and the artists that I liked when I was like a preteen and a teenager. Like, you know, almost going back to, you know, we've talked on here before about our journeys to hardcore and how, you know, for me, it was like through like alternative rock and grunge and stuff. And now, like at 40, that stuff's like mainly what I go back to but for a while you sort of get away from it and you move into other stuff and what i loved about the new ice burn is i actually tell people who've never listened to you guys before and i've probably said this before to like i'm like just check out the new album um because i think it's just a super nice way to tie up kind you know because it has obviously the you know the songs are it's two basically long pieces of music but it's just like riffs on riffs, like for people that like heavy stuff, you know. Um, and I'm guessing, too, that's where Eagle Twin came in. You started to do, uh, you know, that band as well. And now yeah. you kind of do both concurrently. Like I've seen you posting on your social media. Iceburn just played the other night. I've seen Eagle Twins played a couple times. So it sounds yeah. like you got a good thing going. And, uh, you know, we're thankful, too, just to be able to talk to you about this stuff and become, you know, kind of learn a little bit more behind the curtain of Iceburn, which was a huge mystery to, I can speak for all of us. You got, you know, it was a mystery to all of us before we started the podcast. And, um, you know, as I've shown you, like I became a, a, Jason and I call it the power of the pod. You know, when we do the research and stuff and learn about it, like Iceburn and Engine Kid were my big surprises where I was like, oh my God, I love this stuff. Before we get to Hot Tracks, though, just real briefly, we talked about the artwork from Rich Jacobs, but there's so many pieces that make up the artwork for it. You've got the photos and the paintings and the drawings that are inside of the, is it in the LP layout? Because I've got it on, I've got it on CD. Thanks, you, got Jason. This nice I was actually, actually going to bring this up and I forgot. Okay. Uh, I love the layout for this. I think that, yeah, it's got the Rich, Rich Jacobs. Um, it's kind of got your usual crew right of people that are with the ice burn up till this point you got the uh rich jacobs artwork um rick egan did the color photo and i forget did we talk about that's not the same guy that does vagrant records is it no rick is he's a longtime scene dude and he he's a photographer for the salt lake tribune which is a local paper and okay still still doing that the tribune is 
still going. And yeah, he was the best just because he's just like, yeah, come up. He was a little older than us, but he's like, yeah, come up to the newspaper top floor. We got a huge like uh, dark room. We'll print these out. You can check them out. So it was pretty. He he was always super gracious. He took the photo yeah, of the stacks player with the, oh yeah yeah. With the um, and then Rich, I think, scratched them and and did some other things. It looks okay. really cool. Did you have a? Do you have a favorite piece? Involved, that, uh, yeah, of all of these. Uh, I don't know. I, I really uh, like. I like the back cover actually a lot. The it was kind of not things that Rich normally did, and yeah. and I remember seeing them and being like, "Dude, can we make this record cover?" Um, like that front piece and the back piece. Yeah. Oh, so that's yeah, that's like an inversion of the other piece that he did, and then the yeah, he had some nature. <laughs> some weird leaves or fairy wings and mm-hmm. um, made a collage so I don't know um, and then I, it was his idea I think um, to do the layout on the inside with all just a bunch of different pieces um, and I think it kind of progresses from the more humanistic to kind of machine type designs and stuff yeah, um, it's not like there's the faces and stuff over here, yeah. and then it just kind of moves over. I love the I love the text too, the meditations on revolution. Um, do you uh, do you have any original of these prints? I don't know if I have any of those. No, I I always come across some some Rich Jacobs stuff, and I have one like by my bed where it's a dude and this weird bike and it says kick that bike. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's given me so much. I, sometimes I'll dig through my stuff and take pictures and send them to him or, um, but yeah. There's a little, uh, like, uh, pill pop out, whatever you call oh, these yeah, things. That's... <laughs> Benadryl. That looks like the yeah, Benadryl. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad Jason asked. Was, uh, that was one thing I wanted to ask about was the layout. And uh, yeah, yeah Rich, this one has bonus tracks on it, the vinyl. It does. History, and then in brackets, ancient, and then double revolution. Um, the ancient because it was like a old live version, I guess. Okay. Um, but I really liked that version. I remember we had some space and we were like, let's do this. So now, Jason, are you ready, you think? Jason. Yes. What's your hot track? My hot track's history. And oh, it, folks. Because it reminds me of John Coltrane. Oh, yeah, it is. I'm not, <laughs> is, that, is, uh, is there a certain... It just sounded familiar to me when I listened to it. Um... I know you said that it was a jazz standard when we talked about it earlier. Um, it's not. It's based on. Oh, so the chord changes. Yeah, you'd hear that in. Um, it's kind of a modal blues thing. Um, and I think probably what you're hearing a lot, too, is the harmonies are in fourths, which was in Dorian, which 
Coltrane loved. It's kind of those fourths. Um, it's just such a great interval. It, it, it works <laughs> well together, but it gives you that sound and you end up getting like sub frequencies from those, from the fourths just cause so it sounds deeper. Um, just the way difference frequencies work and stuff. It's still very pure interval, but it, um, you get like these low tones and, um, I'm trying to think if there's a Coltrane tune that specifically uses those changes. Um, but it has that swing. Yeah. Def and then they bust in on the drum solos. They do when the congas come in, they go to um, this kind of clave, the kind of Latin thing. And Elvin Jones from Coltrane would always, um, that was like one of his go-to on love, love Supreme and stuff. Okay. Okay. That, that beat is kind of iconic and it, it's a definite homage to that. So I'll I'll go next. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna um I gotta pick Sphinx. I know it's the hit. I love it. <laughs> um because mainly like hearing you know hearing the the edit on in flight and that being my my only ice burn experience for quite some time. Finally hearing the entire piece, and I love it, it's it's the full side two of the of the record um on the vinyl. Uh, which actually there's, there's the Sphinx and then Sphinx too. Yeah. Cause we um, couldn't fit it. Cause it wouldn't fit, but just <laughs> that whole piece, it's just so wild. And like, it's, you know, I always say for the ice burn stuff, it's almost hard to pick a track because it, you're not really a mixtape type band. Like I'm not going to make someone a mix and put a 20 minute version of Sphinx. Like it's kind of like, you got to hear, you got to hear it in context of the record. But at yeah. the same time, like that song rips, <laughs> like, and I, I loved hearing it, like not edited here in the whole piece. But like to me, like, like I, there's certain bands where I can't just like go on Spotify and just like I got to hear the whole record or more certain records, like Radiohead, OK Computer. I usually I have to start that from the start and hear the whole thing, and that's kind of how I look at Iceburn. Like I gotta. I want to hear the whole record from beginning to end because there's a there's a flow to it. But if I have to choose, it's definitely going to be Sphinx. I think that's my hot track as well. Um, this album is not on Spotify, and for it some, is it is. I but it's under collected. It's underneath the Iceburn uh, collected. I, I mean, I typed in Iceburn and I didn't see it at all. So anyway, I also for some reason I didn't order this on cassette. And I wish that I had. So I'm going to go ahead and full disclosure. The last time that I heard this record was last week and I had to listen to it on YouTube and it was <laughs> all on one track. So I was like trying to keep track of, of bits and pieces that I heard that I liked. <clears throat> and so I wrote down on my notes, 16 minutes, hot track. <laughs> and so then I had to go onto Google and look at the, the way that it was broken down by track listings. 16 minutes is just after Sphinx starts. Mm. And there's a part where I love to use this term. There's like daylight in between the notes. 
like it's a little bit sparse with the guitar and then the drums kind of fill in between yeah. those notes. And I was like, this is it. This is the part <laughs> right here on the whole album that I love. And it also reminded me, I, I'm going to go on record saying that I'm probably one of the biggest fans of the band Bloodlet in the world. I, I, I will challenge anybody to their Bloodlet fandom. On the album, Seraphim Fall, at the end, there's kind of like, it seems like a long, drawn-out, improvisational piece. And I've always loved that. And this, that section of the album of the, of the Iceburn Collective reminds me of that. And so I'm going to put this out there. If you're a fan of Bloodlet, but you're not a fan of this record, then I think you're a tourist in in the bloodlet <laughs> fandom and i think that you should be able to uh, appreciate both because they're not that far off bloodlet's a little darker a little bit uh maybe seedier a little bit less jazzy but there's like there's common threads that wind through uh both like eclectic or not and theogen and seraphim fall and then um a couple of iceberg things. So that's my spiel. Anyway, Sphinx also my hot. I, I think that you brought up a great point. Hav is like the iceburn. And I've said this in the chat every time we bring up, like, especially watching live footage, iceburn is heavy. Like yeah. it's, it's super heavy. I feel like it's something that to really like maybe click for a lot of people. You got to see it live, you know, like you have to see it live to get it. Um, because that's why, what's that? I see what you did there. You did a little, little turnstile nod. Um, but you do (laughs) like, you need, like, you need the, the, like you guys are, it's just this heavy, like, it makes sense that this new record and that the Eagle twin, that like, you guys have the affiliation with, with Southern Lord. Um, yeah. Like for people, like I always tell people like people that like that stuff on the heavier side, need to really take a good listen to these the, the ice burn catalog because like Hav said there's a lot more than meets the eye to quote transformers um like where there's just a lot of riffs and a lot of riffs that like creep up on you and then you realize like oh this is fucking heavy but it's not maybe necessarily like since it's not straightforward i think it takes a little bit to to find like what yeah to f- to find it like not that you guys sound like it reminds me of like um a band with a vast catalog that's one of my favorites uh like sonic youth uh, like sonic youth would have these songs too where they can write like a pretty concise pop song but then they'll have these big expansive pieces of music where there's just all this stuff going on and to me that's iceburn there'll be these little parts where there'll be like you know catchy riff and then you're going to go on an adventure. Um, and I like that. I think that it's like, it's a, a breath of fresh air. Um, and again, people that like riffs, you're going to get plenty of them when you listen to this catalog. Yeah, that's a good riff. The Sphinx one. And it, it kind of spawned a, a bunch of music for us that never really made it to the light of day. So if I ever dig back into that stuff. We kind of started making these other Sphinx too was a 
in Sphinx three where we had the, the kind of riffs and then the jams and they were all, they were all related because, um, that, that melody, I think probably that comes in after the riff, you know, um, the rhythm of that was so Mahavishnu, um, the way it was layered. Um, and I think Greg Anderson always told me he really loved that and was probably hearing the Mahavishnu in there. Um, but it's like, yeah, you got the major and the minor living together in those pieces. Um, it sounds kind of, there's something that came up later, the desert rock kind of stuff or the psychedelic. Um, and we were really aware of a lot of psychedelic music, maybe Pink Floyd or whatever. <laughs> but um, uh, I think a lot of people that were into psychedelic music that are into Iceburn now are like, yeah, man, they, they kind of see the, the parallels there. Um, uh, yeah, like I can't imagine like me at 15 wasn't going to get this record and that's okay. Like, like, like when this came out, I was just, you know, really starting to get into Rev. Like, yeah, I, I wouldn't have understood it because yeah. I, I know me. Well, <laughs> like, I, we like the end of the Sphinx says, um, you know, it's like, so you can five cents the sixth, which one of those lines. And then so you can touch it with the skin of your soul. And so it was like we were trying to say, you know, you don't have to understand everything here. You can feel it you can you know let it kind of come to you on a different level um and i think some people we were able to but i'm glad it's we're re-examining it because we put so much into this record um and i think a lot of the ideas are still coming back around like revolutions and stuff it was all all the lyrics were Really, there's this movie Mindwalk I wanted to mention. If you've never seen it, try to track it down. It's called Mindwalk. It has like, who is it? It's not Peter Coyote, is it? I'm no, it Sam Watterson, um, John Hurd. And it's a poet, a physicist, and a politician. And they're all on this French island just kind of walking around and talking about physics and ecology and art and um kind of the the crises in the world um and it's based on the writings of Fritjof Capra who did I think it's more of his turning point he also did the Tao of physics what which explores like parallels in modern physics quantum physics with buddhism and and ancient eastern religions so um that stuff totally yeah mind walk um i watched that uh, multiple times and um it was kind of driving with all the stuff paul bannum was teaching me and of course they quote blake a lot in that movie william blake um and the whole science versus mysticism kind of thing 
And that's, I don't know, that's what I found interesting looking back at the record, like all those ideas of, so we have a revolution and where does that get us? Or, um, I don't know, it's always introspective for me. And uh, <laughs> Sam Waterston was in it, John Hurd, yeah. like you said. Yeah. And I'm not uh, sure. Ione, Ione Sky mm. was in it as well. Oh, um, I think she was a daughter, maybe. Yeah. Know. Yeah. It's a it's a weird thing that you wouldn't think would be interesting at all. And then, <laughs> and then you watch it and you're like, wow, it's it's about, you know, a theory, a holistic theory of the universe where you can't, you know, just take whatever trees or plants you need and not affect the rest of the world. Um, so for us young vegetarians and stuff, it was like, yeah, they're, they're speaking our language. So, um, but it's, it's on just a whole different level. Like how do you make big changes in the world? Um, you got to look at how it affects everything. Um, so, and for me, it's more about taking the mind walk, I guess, and just, um, thinking about you're never going to come up with all the solutions or even then be able to enact them, but you turn enough people on to these ideas. Um, maybe some things will change. Nice. I'll have to check that, check the movie out. <laughs> you, so, you sold us on it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, did you did you have a hot track on this? Did you say it's Sphinx oh. too, or you're or? Uh... I mean, I love Sphinx. We always come back to that or the Revolution piece, um, just because it's so fun and we just freely play that melody over the top. And um, but man, yeah, it's always. I think I was impressed a lot by the objects part as well. Cause I never, I haven't gone back and listened to this record for quite a long time and to, to hear what we were doing there. So, um, but I think the most enduring of course is the Sphinx. Live music that is awesome. All the Sphinx. <laughs> and then um, I guess to, to wrap up, uh, one final question. And like I said, I still, I want to spend some more time with the post rev stuff. Um, so I'm sure we'll, we'll be in touch with you at some point in the, in the future. But, uh, if, you know, like I talked about with me playing the new ice burn, is there a certain record where you would tell people like, Hey, if, if, if you want to check out ice burn, this is the one I think you should check out first. Do you, do you have one? Um, I would probably do the new one too, just because it's um, where we've kind of evolved and come back around to revolved. Um, but I used to tell people metatabolutions. Um, I, I think Greg Anderson told me that that's the one he would always recommend to people. Um, he told me it's his favorite. Yeah. This is his favorite. I mean, the drums are going to take you in a whole different way because it's. Um, <laughs> It's such a different approach, I think, um, but but it's cool. <laughs> it's still heavy. 
So well, that's why I love having these conversations because now when we go back to listen, I think we're going to be able to, and and hopefully the people who listen to the interview, um, kind of hear it with different ears and really pay attention to, um, you know, a lot of the things you brought up. So thank you for that because I think it will sure. enhance the experience uh, for sure. Of course, yeah. There was a lot that went into this, a lot of ideas. So um, having the packaging. Um, there was a lot of those things that I didn't even remember from, um, but it's really cool. It adds a lot. I think having the, um, William Blake and, uh, William Butler Yeats, Yates, sorry. I used to say Yeats and then some guy corrected me. <laughs> now I uh, before, before we were rolling, I said, <laughs> I said that and I got yelled at in the background. Uh, yeah, you did. By my wife, she's like Yeats, Yeats, Keats, and Yeats are on your side, and and that's why I should have known. You know, Morrissey taught us, and Uh, I still I still managed to to mispronounce. Well, I've I've been doing them forever, (laughs) (laughs) but I had some English major. Um, Yeah, thank you so much, as always, for really letting us. You know, like I said, cracking open this mystery and uh, letting it spill out all over the dock, like in Jaws. Uh, And um, always fun talking to you. And I feel like I always, I feel like I, I know a little more about music now than I did 90 minutes ago. So I appreciate it. So thank you. You are welcome. Yeah, he is, but I'm recording. I'm always recording. Hav always kicks in with this. So, so. <laughs> so here's my thing with Metatevolutions. I wish that I would have purchased it on cassette because I think that it would be good music to listen while I'm doing, you know, my graphic design or painting Warhammer or whatever the fuck I'm doing here in my office. And there's a sealed one on Discogs. I looked, by the way, in the interim. There is a sealed one with a make and offer, Hoff. Yeah. Just saying. Tape. Yeah. I, Tape might, I might have to do it. Because okay. I, I, I agree. It. Like, I think it's, uh, I could totally see it just being something that um, when you're not trying to assess it like we are, like we were, where we had a, like, it'd be really cool, I think, just to have on while you're, you know, have the video game music turned down or. Yeah. You know, whatever you're doing, like you said, work. Um, 
because it's a cool it's a cool album. I think cassette would be cool, especially if you had a um, auto reverse. You could just loop it. My boombox does not have that. It's a newer. Yeah, mine, a newer mine doesn't one either. It just stops at the end. But um, yeah, it looks like for for tape heads out there, there's Iceburn stuff's pretty easy to get on a uh, tape. I have the records, um, but it is. It looks like there's, you know, Firen is on cheap and uh, Hephaestus, and like it looks like a, a good deal of them. Here's uh, a here's uh, a question for you. It is. Since exploring the world of iceburn have you listened to more jazz well i got that mahavishnu orchestra record so yeah i i i i don't enjoy mahavishnu orchestra and i i when i listen to it i don't really equate it with jazz i think that it's more like jazz influenced rock freak out psychedelic stuff yeah, but but, do you hear the bad? You don't hear the bad brains in. I mean, the the intro on Eye Against Eye, Bedge, our our buddy Bedge. No, 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 not I, that. The boom, 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 boom. Yeah, but I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't hear the jazz with that either. Um, but it's totally like well, so okay, yeah. So to your point, then I see not equating that necessarily with jazz. Mm-hmm. So when I when I listen to jazz, I'm I don't want to say like I'm a I'm a purist, but maybe more of like a traditionalist. Like when I was younger, I think that my jazz listening started with like you know the basics, John Coltrane, um, then maybe into some Thelonious Monk, and then maybe some more of the like vocal stuff, um, Chet Baker. Uh, maybe like some uh, Billy Holiday, which isn't really jazz, but you know, there's some influence in there. But then I think what I recently revisited and I, I spent, <laughs> I had a bit of analysis paralysis trying to figure out which vinyl version of Ornette Coleman, the shape of jazz to come that I wanted to buy and I bought that and I listened to that quite a lot in the past meh, six months or so. And again, this is like, for me, this is revisiting some stuff um, that I I used to listen to when I was younger and maybe just, I never, I didn't have any of that stuff on vinyl. My mom didn't listen to this stuff. She was more into like classic rock. So I have a lot of her albums, Beatles and Zeppelin and Cream and stuff like that. But jazz is kind of where I I had to explore it on my own. And this is pre-internet also. So you'd have to go and maybe buy a, uh, a cheap CD, a used CD or something like that at, at, at one of the record stores and then hope that it didn't suck. So that's my jazz listening. I, but I did. Have you give... ever done? There's a there's a technical term for it while you're listening to jazz. Um, oh God, what's it? Magic mushrooms. Yeah. Uh, have you ever done jazz hands? Uh, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, come on. But do, but Hob, do you think where that was that because come, of iceberg? Where are iceberg? jazz hands? What? Why? Why isn't that this? Um, without googling it, I think that jazz hands is how you clap for hearing impaired people 
No, I thought Jazz Hands was from a movie with with uh, what movie was that from? Greg, come on. Now I got to look. Yeah. Watch, it some, watch it, some like sketchy thing. You know, cut no, it's not. It's something. It's a movie with Ben Stiller and Will Ferrell where they're ice skating, right? If I'm incorrect, this is going to be so stupid. Oh, sounding. with uh, oh no, it's it's in Blades of Glory. Okay. Is it in Blades of Glory? You can keep it in. But Hob, you were saying, do you think that you started listening to Ornette Coleman because of Iceburn? I think that I revisited, okay, especially Ornette Coleman, but jazz in general. And actually, my top, some of my top played stuff for 2021 on Spotify was John Coltrane because Dude. it's nice to listen to at night. So yeah. my my t- my top two listens on Spotify because I don't listen to Spotify a lot. I listen to mostly my iPod and vinyl and cassette. So my top two were John Coltrane and Leak Duck, which is lo-fi hip hop. Um, and so this is what I listen to. I have like a, a little Google pod on my nightstand and I'm like, hey, Google, play Leak Duck. Oh, shit. It's going to start playing right now. Hey, Google, stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not I, I'm not too like playing right now. Hey, Google, stop. But it either isn't available or can't be played right now. <laughs> Fuck man! <laughs> I can't win. I can't even I'm imagine. Too, I'm what if your name familiar. was? What if your wife's name was Alexa and you like can't even call her name anymore? You're done. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't have any. I don't really have any jazz story. Yeah, fuck with Coltrane. He's awesome. I mean, that's just so basic, though. That's the equivalent of someone saying. Fuck with Turnstile. Yeah, you know, it's just it's it's, basic. It's for basic people's listening. No. No, I looked at it more as like, oh, you like you want to hear rock music? Fuck with the Beatles, which I love the Beatles. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, but it's yeah, like yeah. you got to start want, somewhere. Yeah. So John Coltrane, Miles Davis, uh, kind of blue. These are where I would start. And then if you want to dig deep into like the fucking wackier stuff, that's when you start digging into like Thelonious Monk. And what I don't like about that Coleman. stuff is it's not relaxing to listen to some of it. It's not at all. No, yeah, it's yeah. very interesting. I actually like listening to it at dinner, especially Ornette Coleman, but you can't listen to that shit at night where you're trying to fall asleep. No, no, no. But I appreciate Gentry talking about that song history and what he recognized from yeah. Coltrane. He's a genius. And I think that, I don't know. Who Gentry? I wish that I, yeah, I wish I could see things I know. the way that I, he sees things. And I wish that I could see these song structures the way that he sees these song structures, but I don't think it's something that I can do. It's an incredible skill, like, you know, to have that knowledge of music. I'm envious, honestly, because I didn't, you know, for as much as I love music, like, I don't, I don't know, you know, I know, I don't like, just the way yeah the way he sees it like i can't it's wild and and it made me though and i think that's what's great about you know podcasts and you know interview based things in general is when you can really kind of get a little more backstory on something because i think if you just take this album with zero context you might be like what but i think having having that context from gentry and explaining will allow people to, I think, look at it a little differently. Because sometimes it takes someone explaining and they say, oh, well, actually, I was really, 
you know, influenced by A, B, and C, and then you go, oh, wow, yeah, I really, I hear it now, or maybe you didn't before, and you're like, what the hell's going on? Um, that's my take with, with Iceburn. I just think they're, it's so interesting because, again, if you listen to, like, the Insight 7-inch and think that, like, that kind of spawned into this is pretty wild because I think initially, we may have touched on it, it's been a while since the first, you know, when we did have Hephaestus, but um, which also, I guess, we need to do a bonus episode on like the victory errors. Um, yeah. But th- I think the original idea for Iceburn was to be like everybody from Insight minus Mark and then plus Gentry um, was like the original like crux of everything. And then it just evolved into this, into what it is now. But Hav, you're like a you're a Victory Records dude. Like you know, sure. I mean, I guess we all were. But it's you know sure. that the early '90s stuff. Like, do you remember like Fire? Like, were you? Yeah, I remember completely ignoring it because I just I didn't I just didn't care. It wasn't Earth Crisis, right? Case. I mean, same. And and, and I remember so I just, thinking I just totally overlooked it. Like, wait, like it was very rare back then that a band had records on Victory and Revelation. Like that was just there wasn't really that like crossover. Now there's been I you know a couple that have been on one or the other. Mm-hmm. But I, I remember too being like, wait, they're on victory and then they're yeah. on revelation, but like not knowing. But I mean, it seems like you're kind of shit the fire. It's a lot, it's just heavy. Um, I'm excited for them to hopefully, you know, get that up on streaming. Um, but yeah, like I didn't associate them with victory. Yeah, I mean, when I got when I heard it face this, people said, "Yeah, that shit's crazy," but check out Fire and it's awesome. Yeah. So when I was younger, that was the record I could get into. I still own my copy of that. Fire. Yeah, I do. It's harder to find. I had a. Is it? I had a, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I. You almost never see it in the U.S., which is weird. Okay. Like I think I had to. Like I got mine when we started the pod. I think like I got it. Or when, I guess when we first really started digging the iceberg, I, got, I had to get it from somewhere. I don't know where, but it wasn't here. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's uh, it's just interesting because, again, I could not see 15-year-old me listening to this record. Because um, I'm trying to think, like, I was listening to, the you know, some hardcore, a lot of lookout record stuff, like, this just would not have been on. This would not have been on my radar at all. Yeah, because I was also at that age where, like, the stuff that I know Gentry's into, like, you know, that like he mentioned, you know, Nirvana and Melvins and like that, you know, the West Coast, Pacific Northwest. I don't want to say doomier, but like sludgier uh, stuff. I was kind of already at a point where I was so into like. East Bay punk and you know really straightforward hardcore that I kind of left that stuff in the past for a while and then you know revisited it probably a few years later. It is a little bit since. more mature. Yeah. Because uh-huh. that's like what I was talking about is like I feel like I got into like a lot of this a lot of the stuff that's on like a regular playlist of mine is all stuff I discovered in literally sixth or seventh grade. And, you know, I wasn't maybe ready for it. So I liked it a little bit and then I moved on. And then when I hit, you know, my late twenties, early thirties, 
kind of dove back in and was like, oh man, like you were listening to some cool shit, like, you know, whatever, like, like Sonic Youth or Dinosaur Jr. or whatever. Um, but it sort of bummed, you know, as with, as with a lot of these releases where we have the bands did a, a bunch of things on Rev, it's always a little bittersweet when we get to that last, you know, we just had into another last week with their last official rev release. Yeah. And then now we have Iceburn with their last official. Um, so we're always looking for excuses to, you know, still, still chat with these people. Cause like I said, Gentry is always super fun to talk to. And um, know, that's, that's all I it, have, right. Man. Isn't that it for people that have had multiple releases on rev besides youth of today after we get to when I was alone. Um, so there can't is close another, my eyes, sorry. Well, there's oh, as far as bands that have multiple records, yeah. No, a lot of the like some of the later stuff, nerve agents had a couple. Oh, you're right. Uh where fear and weapons meet, uh Garrison. Yeah, the nothing also had a bunch of releases. It's funny you mentioned that. I was at the record store on Friday. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I always had the down to nothing on CD or whatever. And I was like, oh, you know, eventually when we get to those records, I'm going to have to get, you know, I want to have the the vinyl. And Siren had three of their 12 inches. And they were, and I was, I realized, I did the math. I think they have five releases on Rev. Okay. Because they actually, they have a live album. Who's this? Down, down to nothing. nothing. Oh, Richmond, oh. you know, from Richmond. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I didn't realize they had that many releases on Rev. Yeah, oh, okay, live on the James. Was the so they have, so they, they have, they were originally on a label based out of this area kind of called Thorpe. Do you remember that label? Anybody? Yeah, they did Striking Distance. Uh-huh. Striking Distance. Yeah. And, you know, some other stuff. And then they signed to Rev. They did a seven inch on Rev and then an LP. And then Rev put both Thorpe records on a 12-inch. Uh. So that's on Rev. Then they did a second album for Rev, but also a live one. So I think there's like... Yeah, Isn't five. there a covers record too? Like they do a Four Walls Falling cover? Um, That yes. might be on a different label though. That yeah, might I don't think like, it's on Rev though. I know they did stuff with maybe Reaper or one of those. Uh-huh. But yeah, so they're, they're I think the one of the ones with a, a pretty large amount of releases going forward. Um, cause yeah, I can't really think of, you know, cause we're coming to the end of the college years really. Yeah. If you think about it. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta think of a name for the next, um, with the revival grad school era. It's the revival spring break. Spring break <laughs> yeah. But, um, it, yeah, but you know, like we talked about season one, coming to a close next week you'll hear the uh you know when you're listening to this now if you're listening in real time next week will be the uh in-flight program rev 50 we'll be taking a little break from canon we come back some point in february with texas is the reason and then we do we we got some reissues because we got a couple youth of today records that weren't originally on rev that we'll get to talk about um and then, yeah, we kind of do get into like the youth crew revival stuff. There's better than a thousand and battery and we get, we get to talk about a damnation record soon. Well, we also get to talk about far sides, final yeah. LP 
not soon. That's another one that's going to be bittersweet. And they got yeah, nothing that after one that. will be that one that, will be that bittersweet one is like like sure. ice burn and into another like we have like some other excuses where you could be like, well, why don't we talk about you know the reunion <laughs> or far side? That's that's it, Monroe Doctrine. And speaking of, before we go, a video just surfaced on YouTube. Um, it's Brian Balchek's channel, right? Have that uh, come join friends. Yes, yep. just posted within the past day or two. Um, far side in the studio. It's an hour long documentary of them in the studio for Monroe Doctrine. So that will definitely come in handy for us for Rev sixty nine. I digress. So we got a lot of cool stuff coming up. Um, that's all I got. Cool. Yeah, that's all I got too. I got. All right. We'll see you next time with the Rev In Flight program. I didn't even ask you what's next time, Jason. I just I just told everyone. I yeah, gave right. it away. I yeah. gave it away. Greg did. Next time we're talking on the In Flight program. Yeah, In Flight Rev Fifty. 26 tracks. What up, y'all? It's Javier. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patrons. Billy Tunnell, Bram Hovell, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche John, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, Dustin Perry, JPD2, Jeremy Holohan, John Crowell, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. Listen, go to www.whereitwentpodcast.com. Find out more information about our Patreon, how you can help us out every month, what we can offer you, and uh, there's some other cool shit on the website. I promise. Just go there. Check it out. We'll see you next time.